0: Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's October 21st. The first modern planetarium opened on this day in 1923 which probably makes this sound like an episode that's going to be a lot happier than it really is in the end. So before this point, there were several ways to visually represent the solar system and planets in things like classrooms and museums. One was an orrery, which was like a large-scale model of the solar system, like you might make in elementary school, with balls and sticks that represented the planets. Some of these were incredibly beautiful and complex. They sometimes were operated by a series of gears that made the planets actually orbit. You might use a dome or a sphere with the stars painted on, or one that was lit from the outside with pinholes to mimic the stars. People also placed maps of stars onto a globe to be looked at from the outside. In 1912, Professor E. Henderman also invented something he called an orbitoscope. And this was a model of two planets that orbited a sun and a light that showed where their various shadows fell from a particular vantage point. This was a good way to visualize what planetary motion looked like. Then, astronomer and privy counselor Max Wolff suggested to Oskar von Miller of the newly opened Deutsches Museum in Munich that he should have some installations related to astronomy. The museum was already set to have observatories and telescopes, and Wolf recommended that it also have some kind of installation that could demonstrate the stars and planetary motion. The museum contracted with Zeiss Optics to work on this, and Zeiss had previously donated telescopes to the museum. While working on this project at Zeiss Optics, Walther Bowersfeld had an idea in 1914. He thought he might be able to use a central light source to project the sun, moon, and planets onto the inside of a dome. Another engineer and director at the firm named Rudolf Straubel expanded on that idea to include the stars as well, all projected from this same central apparatus, The projection apparatus that was needed to do this was completely new, and it was a very inventive use of optics and light. The company had to put work on this on hold during World War I, but then a 16-meter dome was installed on the roof of the Zeiss factory in Jena in August of 1923. A series of demonstrations and tests followed, and then the whole thing was disassembled, taken to Munich, and reassembled at the Deutsches Museum. This first public showing happened on October 21st, and the response was extremely excited. People nicknamed this brand new first ever planetarium the Wonder of Jena. Soon, the idea of the planetarium spread. More and more of them opened in more cities. Millions of people had visited one within five years. A very incomplete list of these first planetariums. One opened in Berlin in 1925, one in Moscow in 1928, one in Chicago in 1930, and one in Osaka in 1937. All of these used Zeiss technology, and the first non-Zeiss planetarium opened in Springfield, Massachusetts, and was built by the Korkhaas brothers in the 1930s. So as I noted earlier, the Zeiss planetarium was the work of Walther Bowersfeld and Rudolf Straubel, but Bowersfeld has gotten almost all the credit for it. This is because Straubel was forced to resign from Zeiss in 1933. This was a time of increasing Nazi policies in Germany, and the other directors at Zeiss demanded that Rudolf divorce his wife Marie, who was Jewish, or else resign his job. So he resigned. He and his family went on to be persecuted by the Nazis. He was removed from his teaching position at the University of Jena. Marie was arrested during Kristallnacht, but later released. Then Rudolf died of kidney cancer in 1943. Although they'd been targeted by the Nazis this whole time, Marie's marriage to Rudolf had been offering her some protection, and with that gone, she was given orders for deportation to a concentration camp. She took her own life instead in June of 1944. Their sons were later deported to labor camps. Rudolf Straubel was mostly written out of the history of the planetarium, with Barsfeld getting most of the credit. Barsfeld's first public acknowledgement of Straubel's involvement after the end of the war, came in a brief mention in a paper not long before his death. Thanks to Eves Jeffcoat for her research work on today's podcast and to Tari Harrison for her audio work on the show. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast. And you can tune in tomorrow for a disappointment.